0: Amen? Amen. His love never fails. Praise God for that. We are so blessed to be able to celebrate in this time the resurrection of jesus christ the all that he has done all that he has made available and we've celebrated this and it's been celebrated for centuries and on and on and on i mean god has given us this opportunity to share as the church of jesus christ the followers of jesus christ as we gather we remember this final week called the passion week we we remember this weekend in which we saw so much happen the final entry we talked about last week into Jerusalem, the, the final time that Jesus would ever enter into Jerusalem. We remember the final meal that he had with his disciples, that he would never celebrate another meal with them again in that way. We remember the arrest of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. During this time, we remembered the trial, the, the mock trial and the unjust conviction by the religious elite and the Roman leaders that convicted an innocent man and sentenced him to death. We remember the violent beatings. We remember the whippings that he took, that he endured in his flesh. We remember him being nailed to a cross, hung on a cross on the top of a hill, to be displayed for everyone. We remember his death, that he died on that cross and that he was buried and placed in a borrowed tomb. It's kind of cool. He he was put in a borrowed tomb because he wasn't going to need it for long. But for three days, three long days, and and I hope to kind of share with you today how it might have looked to them in that time and how it looks that way oftentimes to us. I think we can relate with what those that were there, those that were living in that time went through. Because as a church, And, and again, praise God that we can... We have a God who was willing to go through all those things for us. And we mourn the death. We mourn the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. But I thank God that in this Easter season, we also celebrate with great joy the fact that the grave could not hold him, that the grave could not keep him, that there was no stone that could keep him down, no grave that could hold him. And death was overcome, and our God arose from that. Our Jesus is alive today. Church, he is risen. He is risen indeed, amen? And we celebrate, we celebrate today. I hope you celebrate today, Easter, which is the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I want you to open up your Bibles if you got your Bible, you open up to Luke chapter 24. If you uh, don't have your Bible, you can take your phone, you can go to our church app, and down there, there is a place called Sermon Notes, and you can follow along. I have all the scriptures in there and some notes that you can follow along and fill in the blanks with, and... but you can also open up your Bible. Amen? Amen? You need to bring your Bible to church. We're going to look at Luke chapter 24, How many of you have ever noticed that sometimes, oftentimes, our expectations in life don't match up with our reality? Come on, we have expectations of how things should be, and it doesn't often match up with the reality of how things actually turn out. There's things we expected to be a certain way. There's things we expected to happen. There's things we expected in our life. We expected to be finished with this. We expected to be able to start that. We expected to receive this. We're uh, expected to be able to give this. We, we expected. And, and there's so many things in our life that we've expected. And often the things that we hope for, the things that we expected, don't line up with our current realities. They just don't seem to work the way we thought. And, and, and again, being a parent, I think it beautifully, in Easter, it, it beautifully illustrates what I mean. How many of you parents have thought, again, let me just say this, at the church, like your kids, many of you have children, they're over at um, the, the teen center. We don't, we don't do the Easter egg thing at church. We don't do the, you know, the bunny thing at church. We don't do any of those things again at church. We we teach your kids about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We we teach them about the Lord and Savior and and that's what we do. Hey, okay, we don't we just we don't we don't we're not doing the other thing, but I also know that there are many of you that though you like having a church that may not do that, but we, you know, go home and we like to do some of those things without the thought of come on how many of you with little ones didn't have those thoughts of this beautiful easter egg hunt in the yard we're gonna perfectly color all of the easter eggs and they're gonna be just so good and so perfect and everything's gonna be beautiful pastel colors and it's gonna be so wonderful and we're gonna take them out and we're gonna hide them in the grass and and the kids are gonna run no they're gonna skip through the freshly mown grass (laughs) in their beautiful, perfect little dresses and outfits carrying their their little pastel baskets with hay and it's overflowing And, and, and they're putting their beautiful little eggs in there and filling their baskets with a reasonable amount of candy that will suddenly disappear after three days. Oh yeah, I know. And the, after the hunt after the eggs after we find all after we find all the eggs we're going to all get together and we're going to have this beautiful family photo because everybody's dressed and everybody's so nice and everybody's just in such a perfect place and we're going to have this beautiful family photo I thought it's going to be magical How many of you moms and dads know that your expectations don't often line up with the reality? (laughs) Oh my goodness, the kids get out in the yard and the first thing that happens is her bonnet falls off. The dog gets a hold of it. Nobody can catch the dog now who's running around chewing on the little girl's bonnet. The bow tie's all crooked. The little guy's got stains up both of his legs. Somebody stepped in dog poop. Oh, come on, you know. And then the kids are over there, and and rather than rejoicing, they're fighting. They're rolling on the ground, fighting over a three cent plastic egg filled with a melted Hershey kiss. (laughs) And you want to now try to get everybody together for these magical pictures, and it's not working. They don't want to move away from their baskets because their baskets are overflowing with candy because your sister-in-law went all Willy Wonka and, 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 they, and they're trying to stuff these life sized chocolate bunnies in this little tiny basket and, and all the kids want is sugar, they're chocolate. And you're trying to get this picture and they all look like hoodlums. Looks more like a lineup. And all of a sudden our precious little bundles of joy that we had all these expectations for end up looking like that. There's our expectations, and then there's reality. How things really are. And how many of you have noticed that expectations rarely match reality? I want to share those, something about that with you. Before I do, I, I wanted to say something earlier, and, and I, I totally missed this bright yellow note on my <laughs> iPad. I, you know, we've been praying for Kenny, and um, Kenny Jones was in a, a bad accident last week and uh, we prayed for him last week in a rollover, and, and he's having more surgery. Uh, you know, long story short, he's got fractures throughout his neck, and they need to be uh, worked on, but I talked to him, or FaceTimed with him last night, and he has such a beautiful attitude. I mean, such a beautiful attitude about the outlook, and his outlook on it all, in traction, and you know, all sorts of things going on, tubes everywhere, and he's like smiling, and And he had a message for you. And let me just ask you to keep him in prayer. He's going in for surgery again tomorrow, and so please do that. But he had a message. He said, please just tell the church one thing for me. He said, please, tell him, if you're driving and you're tired, pull over and take a nap. Because he wouldn't be going through this had he listened to that. So that's his advice, church, to you, and I wanted to take the time to share that with you. Back to reality. Even in that situation, his expectations didn't match up with his reality. Amen. You've seen that happen. You've been through that. How many of you know the, the black jelly bean? We have great expectations. <laughs> and then we bite into it. Come on. I thought it was grape. No, my reality and my expectations did not line up. How many of you have plans for a beautiful family gathering after church? Invited the whole family. Everyone. They're all coming. And then they all show up. And your uncle enjoys a little too much communion (laughs) and brings up politics. (laughs) Expectations and reality don't go together. I thought about this, and for how many, and y'all look so nice. I mean, y'all look so sharp and so neat and so, you know, but... I know we come together like this and we get dressed up and we get on our Sunday best and all that, but I also know that there are many of you that, you know, nobody knows this, as sharp and wonderful as you look, that there's six outfits at home that you're laying on the floor because you thought in your mind it would look great on you. <laughs> Expectations didn't line up with reality. And rarely do our expectations and reality line up, do they? Now, again, I, I, I wanted to joke a little bit about some of that, but this is the truth, church, that for many of us, the expectations that we had of how our life was going to happen are falling short. Life is not the way we expected it to be. In fact, it's not only fallen short, but it's just downright painful. There's a lot of things I didn't expect to happen, and I expected something different. I I expected my marriage was going to work out. I I expected for my kids to bury me, not for me to bury my kids. I expected that my cancer would stay in remission. I expected I was going to be able to retire expected that we'd be pregnant by now. I expected that I would have met someone by now. I expected. You, you, you fill in your own blank there. And how expectations just don't line up with the reality of where we're at. And I am convinced, absolutely convinced that there are many of us that find ourselves in that place this morning. And we're not the first, I want you to know. And I want you to be encouraged by this story. In Luke chapter 24, there's these two individuals who find themselves on the very first Easter. These two people that are walking along this dusty, long road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And the two of them are walking along and they're in a a state of kind of disarray because three days earlier, Jesus of Nazareth, the one that they had come to believe would be the Messiah, the one that was coming to rescue them, the one who was going to come to be the soon coming king, he was crucified. We had put all of our hope, all of our thoughts, all of our dreams were in Jesus. It was all there and now Jesus was crucified. He's dead. He's dead. Their expectations were not lining up with the reality of the road they were walking. Because oftentimes, church, like for them, when Jesus died, so did their hope. When Jesus died, so did their their thoughts, their life, what they thought they had a chance at. When Jesus died that day for them, they thought that so died their thoughts or hopes or chance of freedom. They never saw it coming. How many of us in our life We're just cruising along, and all of a sudden, something happens that we didn't expect, that we didn't know was going to happen. All of a sudden, something goes on, something happens, and we say the same thing. I never saw that coming. And that's where these guys were. They were walking through this, these two people. The reality of Jesus' death is difficult to handle. But for many of us, when God, when things don't go the way we thought, when things don't happen the way we expected, oftentimes it seems to be the death of Jesus for us. And that's difficult for us to deal with. But church, many of us, even though we may not realize it, many do deal with that. We love all the idea of Jesus, all the idea of who he is, all the idea of that, but the truth, the reality of who he really is just sometimes dies in us because our expectations don't line up with our reality. In verse 13, in Luke 24, in verse 13, it says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So we'll find out here in a minute that this, the guy, the one guy's name that he mentions is Cleopas. Cleopas the second person is never named I did some research on that it's still you know he's not named but most of the theologians believe that he was walking with his wife so Cleopas and his wife are walking along and they're on this seven mile long walk talking about all the things that had taken place all the disappointment all the lost hope talking about all the things that didn't go the way they thought they would go and they're walking along talking about all that wondering wondering this how in the world did that happen how did it come to this how many of you found yourself in a position where you looked around and go how did this happen this isn't supposed to happen to me this isn't supposed to go on and i'm a christian I'm a follower of Christ, how does this happen? And now, and we get in this place, well, what do we do now? We tried this, we did that, and then the hope died and it's gone, and now what do we do? What do you do when all hope fails? I can only imagine that they were walking on this road, probably with their heads down a a little bit, hoping nobody recognized them. Because what happens now? Well, what if we succumb to the same faith that Jesus succumbed to? And it says that all of a sudden, they're joined on the road by what should have been, I, I would have thought, it would have been a familiar face. Church, you've got to see this. Because they're on this road, and Jesus himself joins them. Jesus is walking along with them. And, and, and again, in this time, and instead of being overjoyed, instead of being just so incredibly... Somehow Jesus survived. Somehow he had lived through the cross. Praise God. It says they were kept from recognizing him. Anybody else? Does that seem weird to anybody or is it just me? Why in the world would they be kept from recognizing him? But before I go on, let me just ask you this though. Just because they didn't recognize him Did that mean it wasn't him? It's a really important point for us to understand. Hey, just because you may not recognize it doesn't mean Jesus isn't with you. So here they're walking along and and Jesus is walking with them. And and Luke uses this word to describe this whole, this restriction of sight. He uses the word called krateo, which means to hold to or to continue in state, which means they were kept in that state of not recognizing. They, They were just kept in that place or in that state. And there's two other times in scripture where krateo is used to, to, Share that. And the first time was when Mary, Jesus' mother, came to the tomb, and the tomb was empty, and, and Mary, it was a state of criteo, because Mary looked at Jesus and thought he was the gardener. The next time is when the disciples were fishing, and they were out fishing, and Jesus was on the shore, and they saw him on the shore, but there was this, place, this, this criteo, and they didn't recognize him. And in all three of these instances, in each one of those, those who see Jesus do not recognize him. But church, again, did that make it any less Jesus? Keep that in mind. Now, there may have been different reasons why. In in researching, there was a number of different things. A lot of, you know, really weird reasons. and, And even some of these trying to come down to, you know, what give you some options as to why are kind of weird. There are some who say that Jesus upon his resurrection was now in the glorified state. And so because he was in the glorified state, there was enough of a difference that they just wouldn't, without him telling them or letting them know, that they just wouldn't recognize him. One guy said that, you know, he was always Jesus. He never stopped being Jesus. But when he was glorified and resurrected, he became like Jesus 2.0. I thought that was kind of weird. There was also the, this, this reality that this couple had just experienced a traumatic loss and they were in the midst of some pretty heartfelt grief. And when we're going through a traumatic time, sometimes the situation itself can cloud our vision. Sometimes it makes it really hard to see. I tell people all the time, man, and when you're walking through this time of grief, just don't make big decisions or anything at this point. Don't try to... Don't try to deal with things right now the time will come walk through the time of grief because it's really difficult when you have a loss like that to see clearly in the midst of the grief could have been some part of what was going on with them but I believe that Criteo was going on because God had a higher purpose because God had something that he wanted you and I to see something that he wanted them to realize as they walked along You know, that you and I, we walk in this time, and and like, no matter what the reason, many of us are in this place, like Cleopas and his wife. And maybe that's true for some of you today. The circumstances of your life aren't working out the way you thought, and it's made it really difficult on the road of your life to see Jesus at work in you, to see Jesus and to recognize his presence. And it makes it really difficult because of the hurt and the pain and the loss that I'm experiencing. There are many today that are in the same situation, walking through some of the same feelings and some of the same emotions, and much of it is because life's failures can cloud our view of Jesus. And maybe in your life today, maybe the circumstances have made you feel like, and we hear this a lot from people, maybe the circumstances of your life have made you feel like you're alone. Loneliness doesn't really have anything to do with who's around us. They say that New York City is the loneliest place in the world. Loneliness is not something that comes from the external. It's something that comes from the inside. And there are many of us, because we, we feel that sense of abandonment, that oftentimes we feel like we're walking through life alone. And it causes us, and I would imagine there are many of you in this place today, where it makes us question the love of God. How can God love me if I'm going through this like this? If God really loved me. You know, church, this story is the word of God telling you and I that just because you may not recognize or you may not notice or you may not acknowledge Jesus, it does not mean he is not there. He will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Yet still today on this Easter morning, then why do I find myself relating with Cleopas and his wife? Why do I feel like I can't see him and I can't recognize him? And maybe you've had this sense for a long time as you walked on the, the dusty, dirty road of your life like the expectations that you had, they're just not working out. They're just not working out the way you thought. Your expectations have not been met. How many of us have been in that place where we feel like God has not done what I thought God was supposed to do? God didn't do what I asked him or told him to do. And it makes us feel like God has failed us. And we feel that way. And when we feel like God has failed us, it feels like a death. How could this happen? But church, there are many who find ourselves consumed in our heart with those same kinds of feelings. There are many who feel like they're walking this walk alone. And I'm walking through this lock and I'm walking through this light and I've called out to God. I've cried out to God. I've called out for Him to help. But God is nowhere to be found. And church, I am convinced, God has called us in a walk of faith. I am convinced that it is possible for us in our lives as followers of Christ to feel like we're abandoned, to feel like we've been left alone, yet all the while, Jesus is still walking with you. Because again, he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. In church, our circumstances can change. Our circumstances will change, but God does not. Our circumstances change, but God's love does not. Our circumstances change, but God's presence does not. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. Our circumstances are not what we walk by. And I am totally convinced that God continues to walk with us. But man, how many times have you gotten to the place where you're like Cleopas and, and you just got to this place where you thought it was over? It's done. You know what? There is no more hope. How many of us have got to that place where, and many do, because the suicide rates are so through the roof today, and it's because people get to this hopeless place where we feel like it's finished. It's just finished. That's where Cleopas and his wife were. I love this, though. Louis L'Amour, he said this. He said, there will come a time when you believe everything is finished. That will be the beginning. And so Jesus turns to these two as he's with them and he says, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened over these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth a man who was a prophet mighty indeed in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him but we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel How many of you had hope that God would bring some redemption to some places that you feel like he missed Yes, and besides all this, it is the third day since these things have happened. How many of you felt like you had that place of hopelessness and then things didn't change? Things didn't get better the way you thought. And moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said but him they did not see. I mean, we, come on, we, we've heard those scriptures. We've heard all this stuff. We've been taught all this stuff, all the yada, 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 all that stuff. But look, I looked and I did not see him. I called and he didn't do what I wanted. I did this and he didn't do that. But I love the picture that Jesus is painting here. After being dead, What would you expect Jesus to do after being dead for three days and he shows up on the road and these guys, this wife and this husband are all down? What what do you expect that Jesus would have done? I mean, to me, again, this is my interpretation of what I would see happening is Jesus running up and going, guys, 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 cheer up. I'm just kidding. I'm not dead. Here I am. Look, I'm alive. Come on. Wouldn't you expect Jesus to just come along and cheer them up? Come on, Jesus. But the scripture says that while he was speaking to the two, they were had their heads down and were sad. That they were, one version says, that their faces were downcast. Even as Jesus spoke to them, they were brokenhearted. They were crushed. Don't you find yourself just wanting to say, come on, Jesus. Help him out. Come on, Jesus. Tell him who you are. But he didn't do it. But the fact that Jesus didn't do that did it change that they were still standing in the presence of the resurrected Jesus? No. Come on, I hope you'll hear that and hope you'll receive that. Why couldn't Jesus oh, just said, Okay, I'm here? But you guys I'm trying to think of a nice word that Jesus could have used. Why are you guys so stiff-necked? Why are you guys Why are you guys such I've been telling you for 3 years that this was going to end this way. Come on, I've been telling you all along, but you missed it. on! Man, how many of us have been reading the word all along. And God says all along, hey, you know what? Don't do that or this is what's going to happen. Don't do that. Don't do Or he says do this and this will happen. Do this. And so all along, God's telling us his word is filled with these places where he says, don't do that, don't do that, because this is going to happen. And then we go and we do that, and exactly what he said would happen, happens. And then we're mad at God because it happened. We're disillusioned with him because what he told us would happen, happened. We just didn't have an expectation that he meant us. But, church, you know what Jesus does during all of this? I just love this picture. Jesus listens to their hurts. The resurrected King of Glory. Do you think there was anything else he might have had to do? But what was he doing? He's stopping and he's asking them questions. What's going on, guys? What are you discussing? What's on your heart? What things have happened? Why are you feeling hopeless? In the middle of all these circumstances, right in the middle of it, this was Jesus talking to them. And in the middle of it, Jesus invites them to begin to share the reason for their hopelessness. Do you know that God wants you to share with Him the reasons why you're feeling the way you feel? He, in this time, He invites them to this. Honesty. Isn't that a long, lost art? Man, in our culture today, honesty becomes a sign of weakness. Oh, no, no, everything's great. No, no, everything's good. I mean, honesty becomes a sign of weakness. We see it in our world today. Joe, oh, really? The, you're telling the truth? That's all you've got? Let me tell you something. How big a lie can I get you to believe? You see, it's not about honesty today, it's about how big a lie can I get you to believe? And it happens everywhere. Look at politics today, it's everywhere. Our political leaders, our academic leaders, our religious leaders ministering to us in a place where we we honestly reward dishonesty. And it's not done intentionally, but we do, in a way, condition people to that. Listen, I, I asked, I don't know how many dozens of people walking in here today, How are you? great doing well good not one person life sucks right now (laughs) a couple people going through some difficult things and feeling the sadness of that and I certainly understand but how many people trying their best to lie about the reality of their circumstances because it's not acceptable to share those things in public because it's a sign of weakness. And I don't want to go to church and be weak. Come on, a day like today, we all come in our finest and we put our smiles on, and we put on our best outfits and we take pictures and we pretend like everything is great. In church, the truth is for many, not everything is great. For many people, a brokenness exists and we have been taught that we can't show it to the world. So what do we do? Instead of naming it, instead of sharing, instead of talking about it, instead of identifying it, what do we do? We just push it down and push it down and push it down until what? Until finally it becomes a stress that we can't handle and it becomes the explosion that just begins to rock everything. It's a stress that creates death. There are many people that are dying today because they don't have any place to share what's going on in their life. And Jesus, he, listen, he dropped everything to go and to walk along the road with these two. And we see in this interaction, what we see is this, his absolute patience. He is patient with you, church. He is patient with where you're at. He's patient with what's going on. This verse, what we're talking about is an absolute illustration. It is a picture for you and I describing the verse that says God is close to the brokenhearted. If you're brokenhearted today, I want you to know that God is much closer than you may feel, than you may know. And just like he was with them, just because we don't recognize it doesn't mean he's not there. And he walks with us. And he listens to us. Jesus listened to them. Do you know why Jesus listens? Come on, some, some we need to hear this. Some of us... Love listens, Our Jesus listens because love listens. Love takes time to listen. You know what? God absolutely loves people. Do you know that it was his love for people that kept him on the cross? Listen, it was not nails that kept him on the cross. There was no nails that could keep him on that cross. It was his love for you that caused him to stay on that cross. There is no tomb that could hold him. There is no grave that could keep him down. He came up from the grave because of his love for you and for me, this desire to walk with you and to share life along that dusty road with you. Church, this whole thing is an illustration to you and I about this truth, that his love never failed them. And his love will never fail you it will never fail you. Not from the beginning to the end did God fail them. They didn't know it, but just because they didn't realize it was Jesus, did it make it any less Jesus that was walking with them? No, it was still fully the resurrected Christ. And church, just because you may not recognize it doesn't mean that truly the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is not walking with you. You know, um, I'm I'm not the most patient person I, uh, I try, but I have to try. And, and it's a whole lot easier for me to be patient with maybe some of you than it is sometimes to be patient with my wife. It just happens that way. And there's times when Joni will come in and she'll want to talk. I always know there's something coming when she says, Mark, can we talk? And usually in those moments, she wants to share something. She wants to share something that she's going through, something she's frustrated with, something she doesn't understand or wants to figure out. And she just, there's something that she just, she needs to, wants to talk to me. And so I go into like, you know, that that show, Name That Tune. All right. How few a words... until I figure out what's going on so I can fix it come on guys amen Amen. it's a problem I need to fix it and so like on a good day she's eight words in and it's like I got it I got it oh hold on honey that's enough I got it do this do this and do this bam we're done And she's like, no, stop. I'm not asking you to fix it. I'm asking you to listen to me. You know what she's really saying? She's saying, I need you to love me. And if you love me, you'll listen to me. You'll hear me. Sometimes thoughts disentangle themselves when they pass through our lips and fingertips. Sometimes, you know what? There's just a place, there's a power in an ear to hear. And I've learned that over time, that oftentimes what people don't need is counseling. They just need an ear to hear. Somebody that will just sit back and sometimes, and it's hard, sometimes people just need to talk and they just need to know that somebody's listening. But I also know there's tremendous value in us having somebody in our life that will just love us enough to listen to us. And that's what Jesus is in this story. And the reason is because of this, because Jesus knows the value of that. Jesus knows the value of us being able to get it out. He knows the value of us being able to speak it out. He knows the value of us being able to voice our struggles. Why do you think the world in this fallen nature is trying to do everything it can to tell you that that's not okay, that that's not appropriate, that that, that's a sign of weakness? And Jesus is saying, I know the value of this. You need to come to me. Come with your burdens. Come with your heavy laden activity. Come into me just as you are. Come and talk to me. I want to listen. I want to hear you. He says to them, what are you discussing? He knows the answer. What are you discussing? What's going on, guys? What's happening? What's been happening? What, What has you feeling hopeless right now? Church, not only do we not walk alone, you have a Savior that is inviting you to talk with Him, to share your vulnerabilities, to speak your pain, to talk about your frustrations, to share your disappointments, to talk to God about how you feel when your reality isn't lining up with your expectations. And let me tell you, He's able to handle it. He's not intimidated by that. You're not going to drive Him away. You're not going to be able to push him away. He's not intimidated. In fact, he welcomes it. And then he says this in verse 25. He says, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So after listening to these two talk, Jesus now speaks up. And he says something that seems a little harsh at front. Oh, how foolish. The, the the reality, the literal translation is do you not understand? So Jesus was walking along with them, and he's talking with them. And when Jesus is listening to them, and they're sharing their heart, they're sharing what they think, they're sharing what's going on in their life. And what Jesus realizes as they share is that they had wrongly interpreted the scriptures. Church, how many of us in our lives? Well, we're we're in this downcast situation because we wrongly interpreted the scriptures. And Jesus, in this time, you know, he stops and he begins to straighten them out. He begins to interpret things. He begins to share with them the things that the prophet said. He they had seen all this stuff incorrectly. This is a problem that a lot of people in the church struggle with. We don't really want a proper interpretation. We want our interpretation. I like when the word aligns with the way I want things to look, with why I want things to say. I don't like it when it's interpreted properly because it doesn't make me feel good. And so many are walking in a place of hopelessness and despair because we've wrongly interpreted the scriptures. What they had done is they had wrongly interpreted what it means to redeem Israel, what it meant to redeem. They thought that what it meant was that Jesus, the Redeemer, would come and he would take away all their problems. They thought that he was going to come and he was going to take those that were in power and he was going to kick them out of power and he was going to restore that power to their people, the people of Israel, and he was going to make all their problems go away and give them power and give them all the authority and give them everything they wanted and everything they desired and that's what they thought this meant. And Jesus says, no, you know what? You interpreted the scriptures wrongly. It is not what redemption meant. They were seeing it wrong. And Jesus takes the time to open up the scriptures and he explains to them the story of God. He begins to straighten out these places where they had misinterpreted things. And he takes the time on that seven mile walk from Moses through the prophets to explain to them every one of those scriptures that that, that described him, that had to do with him. One of my commentaries said this, and I wanna read this to you because this is really powerful. It said, like everyone else in Israel, they had been reading the Bible through the wrong end of the telescope. How many of us are guilty of reading the Bible through the wrong end of the telescope? They had been seeing it as a long story of how God would redeem Israel from suffering. But it was instead the story of how God would redeem Israel through suffering his suffering and his death. No wonder they were confused by the death of their Messiah. This is not how it was supposed to go. And yet, this was how it's supposed to go. He said, this is unfailing love. How many of us in our lives, we find ourselves in this place where we go, wait a second, God, wait. What? This is not the way it was supposed to go. This is not the way it was supposed to happen because we had other thoughts and expectations of what the scripture says. And then we find out later as we continue that, okay, that's exactly the way it was supposed to go. I I see through all this what has happened. But the problem is is that so many of us, we find ourselves disappointed with God. We're disappointed with God because we feel like he's failed us. We feel like he hasn't done what we wanted him to do. We come to Christ, and you know what? We know we're not supposed to think this way, but many of us do. We take it into our heart. We think that when we became a Christian, isn't isn't he supposed to, like the Israelites thought, isn't he supposed to redeem us? Isn't he supposed to take away all of our problems? Isn't he supposed to do everything we want him to do? Isn't he supposed to restore power and authority and all of this back to me? Isn't he supposed to do all this? Isn't he supposed to remove all the pitfalls in my life and all of the places where I I fall and all the things that happen that come against me aren't I supposed to be set free from those frustrations of life we misinterpret the scriptures nowhere does he say that and so we become disillusioned with God or we come to Christ and we decide that we're going to live our life with one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the kingdom of the world. It's just going to live both ways. This is awesome. I'm in grace. And we find out that it doesn't work that way. It's weird, but when God said you can't serve two masters... We didn't believe him. And it's crazy. He tells us it won't work out. And then in our life, when it doesn't work out, we get mad. He says, don't be lukewarm or I'm going to spit you out. But we don't think that's us. We keep one foot in the world, one foot in the church, one foot in the world, one foot in the spirit, one foot in the, ch- in the world, one foot in God. And when it doesn't work out, what do we say? Well, see, I tried that God thing. It doesn't work. And it's amazing, but almost every time in that situation, what people will do is they will pull their foot out of the kingdom of God, and they will plant both feet right along the fence in the kingdom of the world. Oh, I'm still close. I still go to church, but I don't really believe in my heart that stuff. Because it failed me. It didn't work. And we decide that we give up our idea of Jesus. Jesus, what he's doing on this road is he's explaining as they walk along this road the way that things really truly change. The real kind of change in us. The real eternal kind of change that happens. It's not through power and it's not by might. It's through sacrifice. It's through obedience. It's through faith. The way of a Christian life is not about authority and it's not about position. It's not about us getting our way. It's about a way of humility. It's about a way of laying down our life. It's about a way of sacrifice and servanthood and self-giving love. And the scriptures paint a picture of a God Jesus, the Christ, who gives everything, everything. He gives everything, even his own life, to offer us life. And then he extends his hand to us by grace and invites us to give up everything. Everything in this brokenness and everything in this pain and everything in this fallen world. And he says, give it all up and come and walk in the life that I have ordained, the resurrected life that I have for you. And so the conversation continues on the seven miles they're going along and, and this is what it says and I am drawing this to a close here. So they drew near to the village of which they were going. He acted as if he was going further and they urgently uh, urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is towards evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And When he was at the table with them, he broke the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? So they get closer and closer to Emmaus. Jesus acts as if he's going on. They say, no, 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 Jesus, please stay. And Jesus says, okay. And so he goes in, he stays with them. They break out the dinner and they sit down and Jesus takes the bread and he takes a piece of bread and he breaks the bread. He blesses it. And the Bible says this, their eyes are opened. And now they see him for the first time. Now again, church, this is the first time they see him. But all along that road, did he, did he, did he ever not exist with them? Now he was there the whole time. This just happens to be the first time they saw him and their eyes were opened to something. And I thought about that, 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 where it says that in the scripture, their their eyes are opened. And it reminded me of another moment in scripture, back in the very beginning. And this whole Easter story is about these two meals, these two tables. And the first meal is the one that was taken in the very beginning in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve. And Eve, she takes the fruit from the tree that God had forbidden them to eat from. And she pulls that down and she takes a bite and then she gives it to her husband. Her husband willingly takes that bite himself. And they take that food, they eat the food. And in that moment, the life they had known changed. Their eyes were opened to a new way of life. A life that had a fallen nature. They, In that moment, they were, the Bible says, ashamed. They were ashamed of their nakedness. They were ashamed. And in that moment, their eyes were opened and they experienced condemnation. They experienced decay. They experienced a fallen place. They experienced something that would create a longstanding curse in this moment of rebellion. There was so much that had happened and their eyes were open to it. And they were open to evil. They were open to sin. And you and I today, each and every one of us, all of creation is subject to sin and decay and sorrow their eyes were open to the fact that death was now their new nature and what we see at this meal around this table with this couple Cleopas and his wife two totally insignificant people biblically I mean in the context of things they didn't write a book of the Bible just two people walking along a dusty road Feeling the despair of hopelessness. And here they are. And Jesus breaks bread, shares it with them, and the Bible says their eyes are opened. And what they saw was that now the curse is broken. Adam and Eve, their eyes were opened to the curse. Cleopas and his wife, their eyes were opened to the redemptive story of salvation and Jesus the living God. Their eyes were opened to a new life, to a redeemed life. Their eyes were opened to something that they could have never seen on, and wouldn't have seen on their own. Isn't it ironic that it was Jesus' death that redeemed us from death? That Jesus in his broken body and shed blood, he died for you and I so that we could experience life that Jesus died so our eyes could be opened to what real life is that's what he does god's new creation in that moment i can only imagine how their hearts must have been renewed and replenished overflowing with this gratitude overflowing with this new life new joy all the possibilities god's not dead he's alive our god is living our god is alive and right there where did it happen right in the midst of their brokenness, right in the midst of their broken world, right in the midst of their failures, right in the midst of their inability to rightly divide the word, right in the midst of their confusion, right in the midst of it all, God reveals himself and their eyes were opened to a new world. A world that God had made available through his son, through the unfailing love of God that would sacrifice his son for you and for me. You see, church, Easter is not about a resurrection that may happen someday when, you know, everything's gone and the corruption of this world is over. It's about a, being a part of a, a new, a good, a glorious world that we can be born into right now, right in the midst of this one that we live in. Oh, you know what? Your expectations still won't always match up with the reality. But when we learn to walk with God and our expectations begin to be changed, where the mind of Christ starts to take over, all of a sudden, our expectations begin to align with our reality, and it brings about a joy of life like we've never known before. Because our expectations aren't selfish in nature. They're God-centered in nature. Our expectations aren't all about me, but my expectations become about what I can do to help you how I can serve somebody around me. And I'm telling you, it creates such a joy to know that our expectations truly can meet up with our reality when we put it into the hands of a loving God who gave it all for you. It's about resurrection power in your life. And God can make you new right here, right now. Will you let him? Worship team, come back up, please. I want to finish because at this moment, what happens? Poof, he's gone. And Jesus disappears. And so he's gone from the scene and, and I love what they say to each other. They said this, listen, and again, they could have said a lot of things, but this is what they said. Did not our hearts burn within us as he talked with us along the road and opened the scriptures to us? When is the last time your heart burned within you? When is the last time that there was a message or something spoken or something that you read in Scripture that just caused something to burn in you? When is the last time you found yourself living for something that you were willing to die for? When is the last time that you were filled with a passion that would just overwhelm your life and be willing to do whatever it takes? When is the last time you truly felt alive? Church, this story is not about a Savior who died a long time ago. It's about a Savior who arose from the dead and is alive today. Our God is not dead. Every other God is dead. Every other God of every other religion is in a grave. Their bones are there. Their grave's not empty. But Jesus only needed a borrowed tomb because he was only going to use it for three days. And then he arose. And he's alive today. No other God. No other God, but Jesus. And I love this. I mean, He came up from the grave. He He just defeated death, hell, and the grave. I can only imagine what was happening in those three days. But what's the first thing He does? He goes to a couple that we don't even know one of their names. And walks a seven mile journey with them to listen to their hurts and to listen to their pains and to love them along the way. That's what Jesus did. And that's what Jesus wants to do today. Is Jesus wants to come and walk alongside of you on the dusty road of life and you may not know it you may not even realize it but he is there and he will be with you and he will stick closer to you than a brother he will come and walk with you through this life and he will not leave you and he will not forsake you and there's these moments where he'll bring revelation to the word and he'll open up your heart and he'll begin to create a burning in you it's that place of knowing that my God has spoken and you may not recognize it but by faith we can receive that. You may not with your physical eyes see something, but that doesn't mean that God can't in a moment open up your spiritual eyes in a miraculous way to see Jesus at work in your life. Or to give you by faith the ability to open up the Bible and to believe what you read is exactly what God is saying to you. And to give us something that's worth living for. Because I tell you, man, Relationships in a moment they're good. The fellowship is it's good. Job, the, you know, the kids, I mean it's all good. I mean, but that burning passion that can last into the everlasting, it can only come through Jesus Christ. And, and again, doesn't mean that please it does not mean we don't love our, our, our relationships. We don't, I don't love my spouse. We, it doesn't mean we don't love our kids. It just means that in relation to those things, even they pale in comparison to what Jesus Christ does in the heart of a man, a woman, submitted to him, willing to say, God, I will follow you anywhere. I will follow you, Lord God, no matter where we go. And I don't care how dusty the road, and I don't care how hopeless it may feel, I will always find my hope in the God who walked from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And I choose today, Lord, to see you in the midst of it all. he will meet you along that road because his love never fails easter is a story of redemption and he offers you redemption he's not going to take away all your problems in fact he says in the scripture that you will have troubles don't be shocked when you have troubles he'll like i told you so he won't say that i might but he won't say that church today, no matter what your life has been like, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, no matter how disappointed you are or how many disappointments you've experienced, no matter how many times you've fallen, no matter how many times you've failed, right here and right now, God offers you a fresh start, a fresh start through Jesus Christ by his death and his resurrected life. And he offers that to you. And the reason is because His love is a never-ending, never-failing love that He has for you. Will you receive that love today? Will you bow your heads with me? And I'm gonna pray, but let me just ask you in this moment while your eyes are closed, just in your own heart where are you on this road where are you between Jerusalem the place of of all of my hopes and all of my expectations and Emmaus where where are you in that road are you in a place where you've been disillusioned where God hasn't seemed to work the way you thought where things didn't go on the redemption you thought he was going to bring into your life hasn't happened the way you thought that it would where are you on that road because right now I, I, just, I just want you to, in your spirit to look up and to say Jesus I trust that you're here I may not recognize you Lord some of you may not recognize him because you haven't met him yet but to by faith say Jesus I trust that you're with me and I pray that you'll come into my life I need you to come into my heart. I need you to forgive me of my sins. I need you to cleanse me. Jesus, I have walked this hopeless road for too long, and I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Lord, I don't want to walk in the open eyes of Adam and Eve, in the condemnation that comes, in the sinfulness of my life. Lord, I want to walk in that resurrected life. Open my eyes to what you provide, what you bring. God, come into my life. maybe you've walked away. You had one foot in the world, one foot in the church. And when God didn't, honestly, when God didn't perform the way you thought he should to do what you thought he should, when God told you to do something you didn't like, God spoke to you about something that you may not in your flesh agreed with, you said, well, forget it. I'm just going to put both feet in the world and I'll just watch from over the fence. God's asking you to take a jump, a leap of faith take that leap and to jump into the arms of the Almighty. Oh God, you know where each person is today. And I pray that you would speak to their hearts. I pray that you would minister in their spirit, that you would draw them to yourself. For those, Lord God, no matter where they are along this path, I pray that they would come unto you to bring their burdens, to bring the heavy laden places of their life, to bring the filth the disgust and Lord all those things that we try to hide to bring it to you today Lord in every life in every ear I pray that they would hear in every heart Lord they would receive Lord that we could be those who would receive you as you are not a fairy tale you're a risen savior you're not a genie your God and we receive you as that today and we thank you Lord for the celebration that we have today Easter oh Lord God how can we sing anything say anything but hallelujah hallelujah He is here. He is with us. You may not recognize it, but he says we're two or more gathered. Here I am in the midst. I inhabit the praises of my people. He is here by faith. Let's lift up our voices today and sing hallelujah unto him. Come on, let's shake the roof, church. sing Hallelujah. come on give him a clap give him some praise church I love you I am so thankful to be able to celebrate with you today I hope and pray that in one way or another you felt the spirit of God speaking to you that get this guy out of the way what did God have to say to you today how will you receive what God has to say to you today and what will you do with it because it's one thing to hear it's one thing to receive but it's a totally another thing to do what God has spoken to your heart to do amen let me say happy Easter happy resurrection Sunday to each and every one of you I I love you And I pray God bless you today as you go out into the world. Go out there and be the light that God has called you to be. Go be the living church. Amen? God bless you. Happy Easter. Come on, let's sing this as we go.
1: Come let us worship our King.
0: Come let us bow
1: has done great. Good. See what Saviour has done. See how his love overcomes. He has done great. Good. He has done great. Good. Oh, you of heaven, you conquered.